7.20 in the morning, 20 after the hour here on the Watchdog Morning Show. It is a cool morning this morning. Roaming in the mid-20s everywhere. 23 at the Wheeling, Ohio County Airport. 21 at the Highlands. 18 here at my home studio in Elm Grove. And uh, 23 degrees at the Robinson Auto Group Studios downtown Wheeling. In the heart of the Ohio Valley, West Virginia legislature geared into session last week. State of the state speech. Then the legislature got uh, into action. Uh, Senate had a big flurry of activity on day number one. Now it looks like the two issues that we've been talking about are PEIA and also the income tax proposal from Governor Justice. Week number two gets underway this week. And I invited from Nextar Media, their chief political correspondent, Mark Curtis, to join us today to talk about where that bill is going. Mark, first of all, good morning and a happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day to you. Good morning, Howard. You know, I'm tr- this income tax proposal, I'm trying to figure it out. Um, this is, what, third time around the governor's proposal? Third, fourth, I lose track of times. He's well, taken a know, stab at this before. It's a different variation, but, yeah, this is probably the third time, at least, I, that I can recall. I just, I can't. I can't get my hand yet around what the likelihood of it's going to be. Uh, it sounds to me like the Senate still is not happy with him, so they have some questions. But I guess the House is moving ahead on this. What's your take on where this bill is going? Well, the Finance Committee passed it Thursday night. It's interesting because the House introduced its own tax cut bill, and it was a 10% tax cut. They introduced it and just kind of set it on the table. And at the same time, they, they heard... Um, testimony and took information on the governor's 50% tax cut um, last week in the Finance Committee. The Finance Committee passed it Thursday, and it advances to the floor today. So it's going to be on first reading on the floor. Now, the, the interesting thing will be, will they try and waive the constitutional rule and, and pass it today? If, you know, they don't. They have enough people. That's with the supermajority. They have enough people where they can advance any bill they want to. As you saw the Senate do last week on the first day, they passed, what, 23, 24 bills? Because if you can get three-quarters of the body to say, we're going to waive the three-day reading requirement on the bills, we can pass it today. So I don't know that they'll do that in the House today, but it'll be fascinating to see because they certainly have the votes. It did seem like the House is being a little, I want to stress a little, a little more deliberative than the Senate was, certainly, on their first day, where, like you said, I think it was 23 bills made its way through with almost no hearings, no committees, no testimony, just hear the bills, we're going to pass them, did pass them, and off they went. The House seems to be wanting to be at least a little bit more deliberative about this. Yeah, they do, and, you know, the the Democrats have put up some opposition, but there's only 12 of them, so what can they do? And and so I, you know, I think the key to this, is, as you've suggested, is what happens when it gets to the Senate. Um, you know that there's some animosity in the Senate uh, between the Senate president and the governor over the defeat of Amendment Two, which the Senate backed. I mean, Craig Blair and Eric Tower, that was their bill, and the governor went to every far-reaching corner of the state in uh, and opposed it and defeated it. Yeah, and there's still some bad blood there. There's still some ill feelings. So I don't see the Senate fully what, embracing the governor. Yeah, I, I don't either, which means we could end up where we have in the past, which is the bill gets talked about a lot and ends up going nowhere, even though the governor is really, once again, putting his you know full faith and credit, so to speak, behind it. And the governor seems to be in a little better position this time than he has been in legislative sessions in the past in that I think he picked up a lot of steam 
a lot of public support during the Amendment 2 tour. I don't know if you would agree with me on that, but I, I think he's he's helped to build his own reputation and build his own political capital a little bit because of that. So he may have a little more push this time than he did in the past. You know, and I think I, I, there's a driving force behind this that we have not had before. What's the difference between this year and the past year's tax cut proposals? Well, the difference is the new core steels, the uh, form energies, the yeah. pure watercraft. All these companies are coming here, uh, and they're saying we need a thousand workers, or we need two thousand workers, or we need eight hundred construction workers. You've got the state saying right now it's short two thousand corrections officers. The teachers unions in the state are saying they are short by fifteen hundred teachers. My point is. We have all these jobs and job openings here and not enough people to fill them. And what, what is the governor's main impetus behind getting rid of the – he wants to totally eliminate, eventually, the personal income tax. It's to draw people from other states here, like Florida did, like Tennessee, Texas, New Hampshire, all the states that have no personal income tax. We're driven by the need to bring more people into the state to work. And I think that's, that's going to be the difference maker here. Well, it's it's a good point. You and I, when we talked about our year in review a couple of weeks ago at the end of 2022, uh, pointed out that all of those projects, the governor's had a, had a successful economic, the governor and his administration, had a very successful economic development year last year, but that yes. does leave us in need of a lot of new jobs. It, it does, and, and I don't know how you fill them. I mean, you really... Uh, boy, you, you talk to people in corrections, and they're just in dire straits. I mean, they've got the National Guard working in jails and prisons in the state right now. And the, and, and the, the National Guard troops, you should, we should point out, are not doing corrections work. They're doing more staffing and clerical work. They're not actually acting as jail and prison guards. With with some of those, though, with the teachers, with the uh, with basically state employees, teachers, correction officers, and so on, isn't part of the answer taking some of that excess revenue that we have and simply putting pay raises forth to maybe entice more people to come into those particular jobs? Oh, I, I mean, I guess maybe I'm wondering out loud: are pay, aren't pay raises better to attract people to fill a job than income tax cuts? Uh, well, I, I mean, I'm I just thinking that, out loud here. Yeah, I think in the short term you're right, but I think in the long term it's got to be a package deal. And, yes, that's one of the things they're talking about at the Capitol very intently right now uh, is pay raise. Now, the governor the other night said he wants 5% for everybody, not just teachers, but every state employee. But the corrections people are saying it's not enough because you get into, and, and of course, DHHR is having this problem with hiring child protective services workers, particularly in the eastern panhandle where the cost of living is so much higher because basically that's a suburb of Washington, D.C., and the cost of living is so much higher there. Well, if you give a 5% raise, that's really, you know, that's chump change to a lot of people. That's not going to bring in that. They may be 10, so they're talking about locality pay. We're in the eastern panhandle. You pay your state troopers more money. You pay the teachers more. You pay the corrections officers more because you have to incentivize uh, people taking those jobs. Otherwise, people get trained in West Virginia and they go, oh, look at the salaries for this teaching job in Virginia. Look at the salary for teaching jobs. I forget what the difference is between the, the state corrections average pay and the federal prison average pay. It's like $30,000. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's a pretty big deal. I mean, yeah. um, that's uh, that's the problem even we have right now. Forget about with pay raises, even with current uh, situation. Teachers are looking across the borders and going, oh, I can go over there and get, you know, significantly more money. I, I can 
I could name individuals I know here in the local area who have done that. So um, it's 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 an ongoing ongoing problem. What do you think is going to happen? So there's a lot of we have an excess budget. David Hardy says it's real. It's not manufactured. And we've got a lot of extra money flying around. <clears throat> there are multiple different ways that we can use it. They're talking about PEIA, talking about pay raises, <clears throat> giving it back in income tax. What's your sense of where where the legislature is likely to center on what to do with this budget? The other option that nobody has talked about is actually you know, spend more money in the budget. The governor's offered a flat budget for what? What's it been, Mark, three years now? Uh, maybe it's time to actually expand some services. Yeah, that's that's a, a thing that you're hearing a lot of um, complaints about. Look, we're the, I think the budget surplus once we get to the, the end of the fiscal year is going to be right at two point two billion dollars, and people are saying, you know, that that's not the state's money; that's our money. Give it back. So, you know, the governor proposed the uh, the car tax rebate, which a lot of people find very cumbersome. You pay your car tax and then you file for a rebate, and they send you a check back for what right. you paid. Um, rather than repeal the car tax just outright. So, but it, it may be cumbersome, but it may be a way to get it done at least this year. I think structurally they're going to have to eventually just go, they'll have to do some kind of re- redo uh, on uh, Amendment 2 and try and get those taxes removed that way. Mark, you have an ear to the ground down there. Um, I don't. I haven't been down there uh, this year. We 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 hear headline talk about the income tax proposal. We hear headline talk about PEIA funding. We hear headline talk about DHHR all going to be issues this year. Is there anything bubbling under the surface, something under the radar that you think may find its way to the to the front page eventually that you think may may be of interest? Well, you know, I, I, I let's talk about those issues for a moment. I don't see anything just coming out of left field. But I think and this was an answer to my question the other day to the governor during his briefing, because you recall last year they divided, they passed a bill to divide DHHR into two agencies. Well, this year the Senate has passed the bill to divide it into three agencies. And I asked the governor, I said, are you inclined to veto it? Are you going to say here and now that you're going to veto this again like you did last year? And his answer was no. He said he's open to all possibilities. So he, now he is open to the possibility of taking DHHR and maybe making it two or three separate agencies, whereas last year he was opposed. Now, you have to remember, too, this year, if he if he vetoes it, there are enough votes in both the House and the Senate to override his veto. So maybe the, the math has changed his mind, not necessarily philosophy. Yeah, a veto really would just be a figurative thing. I well, I'm, I'm don't like it, I'm going to veto it, but it would not really... The votes are there to override it if they had to. It, it looks like a lot of these things are getting dealt with, at least talked about up front, uh, Mark. Uh, the income tax is maybe moving forward a little bit today in the House. Um, the uh, PEIA, as I said, is being talked about. I think we're going to quickly deal with that. Uh, and uh, DHHR is going to be a big issue. There may be some debates, but it will be done with. Here's what I'm wondering. If we get all the big issues done early, doesn't that leave room for mischief in the final part of the session? Oh, <laughs> here in Charleston, no, that never happens. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just can't help but wonder. I've done this too long. There's something out there somewhere that's going to pop up that suddenly is going to 
is going to catch the attention of everybody. We think we know what it is, and right now we're just just not not really sure. Yeah, you know, one of the things I do expect to happen is I think we're going to see two, three more of these big economic development announcements with more companies announcing they're coming here. I know there's some more things in the works right now. And again, it circles back to the question I keep raising. This is great. This is wonderful news. But where are you going to get the workers? Yeah. When we can't fulfill workers to begin with, bringing in these new jobs. But, you know, don't you think that there's been conversation about that? With I mean, what, the, before coming in here, that's an issue that... That, uh, that that companies have to be asking of the governor and of Mitch Carmichael and others, you know, are we going to be able to fill the workforce? So there has to have been some conversation about that. I think there has, but look, there has been a history of disappointing announcements in the state where yes. things are said. Remember China Energy, and there there have been others. Uh, the Virgin Hyperloop is that still happening? I don't think so. Um, <laughs> where where. These big these announcements come with a big slash and a big promise of all kinds of jobs. And I, I mean, I'm not th- trying to throw a wet blanket because I think these these things are by and large very exciting. Um, but I think that you keep running into labor force and workforce issues in the state. It's an ongoing problem that has been for years. I, I would agree, and uh, we've t- we talked on the show, um, several of our uh, commentators and I, that it does seem as if the announcements this past year have been more. Realistic. We have had over the last several years a lot of announcements, some big, some not so big, but they didn't come to fruition. They just kind of sat there and eventually faded away. The ones this year seem to be moving forward. Again, I'm, I, I don't say I'm not a fan of the governors. I don't mean it that way. But I've been very critical of the governor over the years. Um, but I got to say, he's he's put together a pretty good team. They've done a pretty good job in bringing these businesses in, and I feel pretty comfortable that these announcements will come to fruition. So. I, I, I position him. You're dealing with some big names. I mean, Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway and Bill Gates, although he hasn't announced anything yet, the fact that he showed up tells you something. Um, a lot of these other companies are, are Fortune 500 companies, and they're known entities. They're not They're not some mysterious, you know, pie-in-the-sky type operations. And so the people behind some of these companies, Form Energy is one of them. It's very significant capital behind that company, and they're the real deal. New course Mark, before I let you go, yeah, before I let you go, one last real quick question, quick answer. Governor Justice, Senator Justice, what do you think? How serious is he? I, you know, I think he's very serious, but I just don't see him in that role. I, Washington D.C. is a big walk, uh, you know, it's a big walking city. You got to walk to do anything in that town. And uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I hope he's physically able up to it, but uh, you know, it's a very taxing physical job being a U.S. senator because you have to walk everywhere, and you know he's not going to be schlepping baby dog with him. <laughs> so I don't know, but he, could he win the primary? Could could he beat an Alex Mooney? Yes. He's won statewide a number of times. Yes, he can beat Alex Mooney. Question is, I'm with you on both of those. I'm with you on both of those. I I just don't think it is a job that matches him. Uh, And I hate to say it, I'm talking primarily about physically. I mean, the man, you know, sits in a chair, brings his own chair. I'm not being funny. Uh, He he coaches his girls' team from a rolling chair on the floor. Uh, I just, I've been to the Capitol. I've followed congressmen and senators around for a long time. It is a, it's a, it's a very active job, and I'm not sure the governor could do it. However, I agree with you. If he runs, he's got one heck of a good chance. Uh, certainly winning the primary, and then will be what happens with the, with the Joe Manchin. Hey, Mark, I know you've got some things to do. Uh, get yourself up ready, head off to, to uh, work today down to the Capitol. I appreciate your time this morning, and I uh, will be watching for you on TV7. 
All right, Howard, thanks. Good to talk to you. Thanks a lot. Mark Curtis is the chief political correspondent for Nexstar Media. That is the parent company of WTRF-TV and all of the uh, the uh, Nexstar stations in West Virginia. Does the Inside Politics show on Sunday mornings with lots of guests and good conversation. You can catch him uh, on TV7 during the session a good bit, but also uh, every night at 5.30 he's reporting for the uh, statewide show. All right, 7.36.23 before the hour. It's a cold morning so far. It's not going to be a cold day. It's not going to be a warm day. We'll get the full forecast from Adam coming up in just a bit here on the Watchdog Morning Show. But first, let's get Ohio Valley headlines. And for that, we go to Taylor Long.